Gen Z rising stylists and salon owners are struggling to communicate, seeing eye to eye, and moving forward with building teams and employment in the salon. Expectations are all over the place, but none of them seem to align. Today, I'm here with Kelly Korsuch, a multi-shop owner, serial entrepreneur, and master stylist. And we're going to talk about what we can do and how we can do it to move forward on this problem. Welcome back to Hairdresser Strong Show. I'm your host, Robert Hughes. And today, I'm here with Kelly. What's up, Kelly? How you doing? What's up, man? How you doing? Good, good. Uh, so for anybody who uh, isn't familiar, we uh, we had Kelly and I had a conversation where we discussed uh, the differences and expectations of stylists and salon owners and some of the challenges with communicating uh, with the rising generation. And um, I also put together a blog post and I discussed all the things that I've learned through conversations with Kelly and other people. Uh, so uh, and then now uh, and Kelly was like, let's jump on and uh, let's talk about it. So um so I don't know. What do you want to uh, start with first, Kelly? Well, um, let me give you a little bit of a background on me so um, we can establish that I might be somewhat credible in this area. <laughs> um, I've trained hairdressers at every level. Um, some like when I was very young, I worked for a relatively cheap uh, amount of money for haircuts and I had my own trip. We didn't have a program and I took somebody on and trained them when I was um, 19. And so that kind of started me on this path of training. And so that was at a very reasonably priced level. And then through the years, I've developed programs and I actually developed for that company. They saw the benefit of that. And then I became the educational director of that company. And I was also training for brands at the time. And then Basically, I've done it. I've I've trained um, hairstylists at every level of the industry. So I, I think that's important because one thing we don't do very well in our industry is we don't separate the levels when we talk about it in conversation. We we kind of do this plug and play uh, talk about every level is the same or everybody's thought process is the same. And one of the things that I wanted to jump on, which I thought was like way too long of a conversation for us just in text was to kind of break up the levels and talk about it from each level um, because it's so important. And that's why I wanted to give you a little bit of that, that preface of what my history is in the industry. So when we talk about it, you can understand that I've seen it from each level and individually and in groups. And, and that's really because like my first apprentice, I paid for it. Do you know what I mean? Like I was 19 and I paid for them. The, the business didn't pay for them. They saw the value of it afterwards and then they started paying them. Um, so that's kind of my history on that. And so I wanted to break this down and talk about it from each level. So do you want to start off from the bottom or do you want to start off from the top? <laughs> um, let's uh, let's start from the top. All right. Uh, so. Basically, the question at hand here is the expectations are are too dissimilar from from the owner perspective and the hairstylist perspective. And so we need to figure out like, okay, what does because I know what the salon owners on each level um, want, and I know what I wanted as a hairdresser getting into this industry. Um, now, Let's go, okay, if you're getting in and you wanted to get in from from the beginning, what are your expectations? Like if you wanted to 
Cause you're more in touch. I would say, I mean, I'm in touch with them, but like, I don't go around to hair schools anymore. That's, that's not something I've done in like two years now. And, um, you know, like what, what do you think that hairstylists who want to become premier level hairdressers, what do you think their wants are and their expectations of that? Well, I think that the point, you know, being able to stand up in front of the students and say, uh, do you want to work at like a high-end salon versus uh, a not high-end salon or go into your, go into a suite or, you know, I'll lay out all the different options and say like, okay, by a show of hands, who wants to work here? Who wants to work there? This is where do you see yourself in within zero to one years, one to three years and three and three and after. And um, what, I would say is that there isn't a lot of conversation about working at a high-end salon. It's more, uh, more about, it's more about like, I want to get out and I want to do hair. Like as, as a matter of fact, 50% of the day schools at Tyson's right now, Tyson's corner, uh, Paul Mitchell school that after just going to them, uh, last week. Yeah. Last week, um, they said that they would work in a salon and uh, they would train like mainly up to six months, like if they had their ideal way. And uh, when, you know, I, I've also get the impression that maybe they haven't really thought about it that much because maybe it wasn't put in front of them. So what I do, what I normally do is I say, okay, let's talk about price of haircut. And I lay out the theory that, <clears throat> that if you made uh, minimum wage, at for a year to 18 months this is how much you'd make and then but then you'd become an if you did it at a high-end salon after a year 12 to 18 months you would be you would be charging say a hundred dollars a haircut versus work going to work somewhere who'll put you on the floor in three or less months charging maybe fifty dollars a haircut now i know that's that's not an exact case and i know that people are going to say oh well i only did three months at a place to charge eighty dollars it's more of like a uh more of an exercise to ask yourself like how many places that have a high price point will allow you to come in and work uh with less than six months or more of training and uh, my answer is based on the people i know is is zero like unless they're desperate and they need somebody and they need to move them up or they have like some people leave or something like that i've seen i've seen people get pushed up quicker than they would have had um had everything in the salon been you know going well but um so the you know i posed them with this idea like if you spend more time training at, at a higher price point salon, you'll end up making more money and jumping quicker because to raise your prices from $50 to a hundred, there's incremental steps there. So it's like kind of putting that in their perspective. When you put it like that, they all like, Oh, well I'll, then I guess I'd rather <laughs> do my training for longer. But I, I think, I think at the end of the day, I don't think there's just enough of these conversations, honestly. Well, I think that's true. I mean, one of the, one of the big things, I guess I kind of felt was hair school didn't matter which hair school you went to. And I've taught at a lot of them. Um, and I went to a really good one, right? Is they almost fill you with this idea that if you went to their, a good hair school that you could come out and you could be a great hairdresser right away. And, and that's something that you only know to not be true once you have experience, right? So when you're in school, you're going to sort of believe that because you want to believe it. Right. And so how I always look at this is I try to go, no, let's go past the first stages and let's like reverse engineer the decision by like first 
telling me what type of hairdresser you want to end up as, right? Because it's really easy to go, well, no, no one's going to be like, yeah, I want to be a low end hairdresser. They're not, they're not going to say that. No one's going to be like, yeah, $40 is enough for me. Right. Like, especially in a group setting, you know, right. so first they have to like be honest with themselves because let's, let's just be honest. Only a very small percent can make it up to the top level. So it's just not pop. I mean, I, I kind of consider the top level to be like kind of 60 and up and um, that may change a little bit with inflation here. Um, just because it's happening so rapidly, um, I don't know. I don't know. And so more of it is a, it's more about a mindset. It's like the top level is is certainly it's about a lifestyle choice about being mostly guest focused, right? It's it's no longer you and about you because there's no way to charge an incredible amount of money and the whole thing be about you. Um, it really needs to become like a hospitality piece. And, and you're thinking about the people beside you, management, um, you know, and the guests with like the utmost respect. So you first you have to figure out, is that something that I'm okay with? Right. And then you start to go, well, what does it look like for the salon owner at that level, what kind of decision? Because here, here's the thing: it's like a big part of the ask are they don't have any experience, so they don't know what to ask for, right? And they just expect like <clears throat> their friends are doing well in like all of their careers, and they want to do well as fast as possible, and that's great. But you don't have to go to college in this industry, so you can cut out three years of the education right there. Um, which is incredible, right? And I can, you know, and like I, I, I make more than all of my friends that went to college. So it, it's not like it's not a game of money. You have to go past that and go. What kind of what what do, where do I want my career to be at the end? And you start to ask yourself all of these hard questions. And from an owner perspective, how do you build a high end salon if you're just if you're just putting any warm body on the floor? Yeah. And then how does that help? you once you hit the floor in a high-end salon if the owner will stick any warm body on the floor right and so a lot of times the ask is just far too much for the high-end salon owner so what you really need to do is go well maybe the high-end salon is not for me maybe the middle end or or the lowest end is the the way to go like i was an impatient student and um and i i i actually I went to a really expensive salon out of hair school in, in Palm Beach, Florida. Um, I took a job offer and moved down. And then um, I worked there for a couple months and I just didn't like Florida. It was too hot. I, I sunburned too easy. I just didn't like it. So I moved back and I was like going to move to the West Coast. So I immediately just decided I'm just going to go somewhere where I can do the most amount of hair possible without training. And so I went to like a, a really low end salon. Um, you know, and it's kind of embarrassing for me to talk about as the hairdresser I am now. Um, but I went to a low end salon and I did a bunch of hair and I'm telling you that I shouldn't have done that. And I can only say that with the humility of like where I'm at now is the hair I did looking back <clears throat> is embarrassing. I wasn't ready. School didn't teach. And I went, you know, as you know, like I went to one of the best schools in the world and like, <clears throat> It was embarrassing. The first client got taken out of my hands. I couldn't finish it. I didn't know how to do hair, you know. And um, and then it, and then it, and I, and I, it's not like I'm some scrub. I was like the first person in like 15 years to to get the like master's degree from Graham Webb, right? And like, 
I, I, I was the like artistic team director. I was the, the, the vice president of the school. I was an ambitious hair. Like, I grew up in a family full of hairdressers. So I was ambitious. And that part of my career was the most embarrassing thing ever. And a big part of why I train so hard is that I never want anyone to feel that again. Right. right. Like no one can hit the floor because I honestly, I almost quit the industry. And like, I, I didn't know if I wanted to do hair anyway. I was kind of just following my parents. Right. So this was a really, this was a really eye opening experience for me. And then this is why I started the train because I was like, I don't love that this happened. And that's been my motivation ever since is, if I put someone on the floor at my salon, they can't have writer's block on the first couple of clients. And to be honest, now I'm looking back at my career, that first three years is hell because I don't, I didn't know anything. And then I was surrounded by people who were also not very good. Right. And so I couldn't look at them and go, what is good? Because I didn't really know. And that that's a big problem I see with kids getting going in this industry is you have all this information in, in this phone thing where you can learn just about anything. Except for there's no way for you to tell what's good and what's not good. So you could be watching stuff that's that's not good, right? There's a there's a big part of schooling and education in our industry that has nothing to do with behind the chair, especially behind the chair at the top level, um, because most of these guys don't do that because good hairdressers at the premier level, we would agree, don't really do this stuff because there's no money in it where there's so, so much money in behind the chair. Why would you do that? Right? It just right. doesn't make any sense. So it's kind of the same way like top hairdressers aren't always the ones who want to go out and do free work, right? Like, so it, it's it's a little bit tricky. So you have to sort of reverse engineer your career to like what your, your what your expectations are. So like, let's look at the, the person getting into the top level. There, you shouldn't want to be in a salon <clears throat> that, doesn't have a training program at a top level because there's no way for them. They're like kind of susceptible to whatever they get. So it may be a very good salon one day and then three years from now, not be a, a so great salon because they lost some of their better hairdressers. They weren't able to replenish with good work, good hairdressers, right? The whole point of training programs are that you're constantly replacing people that are really good. And that's just through natural attrition. That's not like people leaving because they're angry or something. That's just natural attrition. People move. Um, people leave the industry, what, what have you. So the whole point of training programs are for to like replace for natural attrition with people who are trained up to do hair the way you want the voice of your business uh, to be run. Right? So I'm a firm believer that you shouldn't own a salon if you don't have a voice. Right. Like if you don't have a voice where you want to control the scenario, there's more money behind the chair and far less stress. So unless you have a need to like run the environment because you want it to run a certain way, there is just far easier to go be a hairdresser for someone else and make a ton of money. Um, so that's like my first thing. Uh, well, uh, well, that. in in that, uh, I think. Um... I think this is where you're kind of touching on one of the big issues that I, I understand from a salon owner's perspective. And, um, you know, as a, as a person that's, you know, hiring rising stylists myself to start training them. Um, one of the big issues is there's a structural issue within the salon. If, if, if you're training your, if your support staff 
who you rely on to like do the shampoos and the cleaning and the laundry is being is is moving through that pro through that position at a faster clip then you as a hiring manager or salon owner need to uh, be constantly hiring and constantly training and you don't have your people at a lower end. Let's just say in a hypothetical scenario that you could upskill somebody to be on the floor within say three months. Let's just say a hypothetical scenario. Uh, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm not saying we're doing it. We're doing it. I'm just saying hypothetically, if you could get someone on the floor in three months and you were happy with it, what would that what would that do to your business model like you would you would never have any support staff like or it would be constantly like struggling to make sure there's support staff which could impact the customer's experience and then if you want, don't have enough chairs to move people at that clip then uh to, without pushing people out or saying hey you're ready to be on the floor but i don't have a chair for you you know so i think that's solvable okay so <clears throat> just before, uh, let's touch on it just for a second so um if you were able to do it at that kind of clip, one, it'd be so impressive that your business would explode, right? right. You would open, you would open Another 10 location, right? You would open 10 in a city. So that's called forced growth. And with forced okay. growth, you'll, um, you'll destroy, you'll kill everybody, right? Like, it just depends on, is that what you want to do? Because the one thing that I know is that training programs, for me at my level, I can only put one out of four on the floor. So the other three go to other salons. And do right? they leave you before that? No, like, no, no, no. I train them the whole way through. I just, the second I, the second I know they're not going to work. The, the deal for me has always been, I will train you. Okay. But I cannot guarantee you a chair on my floor. Okay. All right. And, and it's, and it's because I'm not going to just put people I trained on the floor just because they trained with me. They also have to be. They also have to have a good work ethic. They have to most the most important thing in a salon is that you get along with others. Okay, this gets lost. No one ever talks about it. It's the most important thing. If you can't get along with others, you can't be upscale or you can be upscale, but you'll make it miserable for everybody and they'll make it miserable for you. Um, so the number one thing is just to get along with others. So so my thing is, it's like, look, the community wins because I train so hard. Right. That's enough for me. It doesn't have to be about opening 18 salons. It just needs, all I need to do is walk into my salon and, and I don't need to be said I'm the best in the best bets. In fact, I don't ever want to be on those best, best lists, lists because I don't want to be, I don't want to be in the same conversation as the other people on the list, right? Like, I don't want someone to look at that list and go, oh, they're all the same types of salons. They're, they're in right. competition. I'm not in competition with them. They're not even in the same vicinity of the conversation as me, right? So all I need to do is know that when I walk into my business as an upscale uh, salon owner, that it, it is the best for me, right? That I'm proud of the place that I've put together. That is not a, a money-making um, concept. And I don't think a lot of people are making their, their decisions entirely off of money from a business perspective. I think a lot of people just don't want to work with people they don't want to work with. And they, and that's their voice that they're trying to control as a salon owner. And that honestly, it's their prerogative. So like, we don't have to, this is the thing. This is why this conversation is so important is because we don't have to hire anybody. That's what everybody's like, like, look, if, if, 
if I don't like this generation, I'll just skip it and hire the next one. <laughs> you know what, so I mean? what about what are you going to do about your support staff? You're just going to hire, hire people to shampoo and clean. It does do that. Yeah. This is not this is what people don't understand is like if I'm hiring people to shampoo and clean, well, that's less training people. Right. right. And then also it, this brings because I've done this like at my last salon against my will, we'll say it's like I, I hired people who only shampooed and cleaned because the because people were pushing me to do it. I knew it was going to be a problem because the problem is they get resentful that the because the apprentices jobs are to learn. So they get resentful that these people are supposed to help them out are always on mannequin heads. Right. Okay, so then you create this crazy infighting. So it, it it's everything's a give and take. You think you're solving a problem, and then you're creating a billion more problems, right? And then those people who are shampooing and cleaning are not going to do it as well as the people who are apprenticing because they don't care as much. They don't have a, they don't have as much skin in the game. How good you apprentice directly comes back to you as a, a stylist at the salon, because you'll get all of the money of you being a great apprentice cr uh, created, right? You'll Because you're basically lifting the level of the environment. And so you can charge more. My goal as an upscale owner is only to remove the bar in price. Like it's not to, to be like, oh, we can charge up to 60, up to 70. No, my, my goal is to remove the bar all the way across the board. So everyone that comes up under me can win. They can stay there forever and they can charge a lot of money. Like one of the things we see in our industry is often the owner will be like, no one can charge more than me. Right. And you see this all the time, especially in the right. barbering industry yeah. where they'll be like the whole shop can only charge this price. Well, who wins that game? Who wins that game? That's a, right. like, that's a terrible, a terrible business policy. Um, so that's, if I'm an apprentice, I'm first looking at, okay, how important am I to the business, right? Like, I have to understand that, like, it is important. Now, from an owner perspective, it's not about keeping them on the floor as long as possible. You actually do want them to go through the training, right? So then, and and if I'm them, really what I'm going for is, is I want the best education possible. When I look back at my career and I skipped the apprenticeship that I should have, that I wish I would have done now. Right. If I could go back to the beginning, I would have found either the best apprenticeship program in my town and called around, just called every one of them and asked and then went and checked out anyone that had a, a program and then like seen. Right. I would I would check out the best apprenticeship program in my town or I would check out the best hairdressers in my town and beg them to apprentice for free. Um, they will tip you. It's not like they're not going to tip you and the clients will tip you and like you're going to make some money. But ultimately, you're getting a education that is far valuable than hair, hair school, like far more valuable than hair school. Like they can skip about 10 years of experience in, in one year, um, which is incredible. And no one gives enough like credit to that. Right. Because they're basically saving you millions over your career. And it's like, so do you want do you want an extra 10 grand now or would you rather make millions more over your career? You know, and, and that's that's a question that's easily answered, right? When you get it put in perspective, but no one's talking about that from the beginning. Everyone's like, oh, the only way to make money is to have your own business. And that's just not true. Like if it was true, 
the salon suites and chairs, you'd hear how amazing it is and how it's crushing everything. And the data just doesn't support it, right? Like pre-pandemic, they were leaving at like 70% within one year. So that can't be true, right? And like- They were leaving so, 70% what, from suites or or the industry? From, from suites. Okay. Right, like 70% were gone inside of a year, okay. right? And that was pre-pandemic. I have no idea what it is now. But the the one thing I know about real estate, um, because I own, I'm play, I'm a player in this game, is if I own real estate, which all sweet rental is, because most of the guys who own it are real estate people, they're not hairdressers, right? So if I own real estate and I have a list of a hundred people trying to get into my chair, my sweet rental. What do you think that's going to do to the price for that square footage? Yeah, it's going to go up. It's going to go up. So eventually, the more we go into this industry, the more expensive it's going to be. And they're going to take all, they're going to swallow all the profit out of it. So you, you like, it was the Wild West for a few years. And that, those years are gone. Right. They're gone because, because real estate guys are smarter than our industry. They're, they're going to win. They're smarter than most industries. That's why they get into it. They're going to win. So, I don't love supporting an industry or like a piece of our industry that is almost entirely comprised of business uh, landlords or like right. you know, uh, yeah. real estate guys. Right. I don't love that because I, I want to get into this industry because I wanted to leave it better than where I where I found it. And that's what's um, most important to me, because it's been very good to me when I got into this industry, which was a very long time ago. Um, there wasn't any money in it. Like there were, there were higher end salons, but they weren't killing it. They were doing well. Right. Um, it's a different game now. And like we created that, but this is, I, I talk about this all the time. It's like, this is the first time in my career where it's starting to go the other way. And it's somewhat sad to watch, but the flip side is I know everything's a pendulum and it will swing back. So it's just kind of how, because like, look, I own, I have a, a big salon in Richmond and I have no problem getting apprentices. None, zero. I put out a thing uh, two weeks ago. I had four before I posted uh, trying to get the job because if you run a real training program, people, people's ears perk up. Are you doing it? Are you apprenticing licensed stylist? Are you apprenticing people from the ground up? I, I do both. So I, I will take people who I honestly, because, and I don't mean this in a rude way. Hair school is junk. It's just junk. It doesn't, it, it, it's necessary in a, in a way because they can teach you to hold a blow dryer and they can teach you to hold scissors and you get used to that and you get a little used to working with hair, but honestly, they're not even teaching you how to section. Like it's, it's so crazy. They'll tell you the sections. They don't show you how to section to where it can be as clean as humanly possible, how to hold a comb. Like everyone gets out and they're still scraping the teeth across the scalp, right? Like, um, and I don't mean that in a rude way because I think that it's a way to get into it, especially in areas where there are no training programs. And, but I'm just being bluntly honest about it. And I, I think schools suck. And I think that, um, the best way you can empower this industry would be to get rid of licensure because then you put all of the gate, all of the power back into salon's hands and the ones who run good training programs would win. And that would only be in the best interest of the, the young stylist because they wouldn't be paid. You're paid to train, right? Like if you come into my salon and the first thing you say, it's like, uh, like you're interviewing for me. And the first thing you say is, well, how much am I getting, am I going to make? 
right? Well, that's you're in the wrong place for that because I'm going to pay you. It's not going to be a lot. It's going to be enough for you to survive for one year. And then I'm going to pay you something that's incredibly invaluable. And that's a real chair-based education. I'm going to teach you how to do hair on real people and real haircuts and turn you into a hairdresser that you can be a monster for life, right? And you can change with the times, whatever, right? Like that, after that, it's kind of on you, right? Like I give you the tools. How valuable is that? That's worth more than any dollar amount. Like I would do that for free if I could go back, right? Okay, now, so let's even free, but I don't believe you should work for anyone for free. I'm not saying right. That. Well, uh, so let's say, um, let's, let's just have on another hypothetical. Let's mm -hmm. say that, uh, the student, these, uh, rising stylists come in and they're like, so this is something that they also said, cause you kind of like hit on something that I'm remembering, uh, they're saying <clears throat> if they said that the one, like after having conversation and, uh, explaining, explaining the benefits of maybe, uh, apprenticing and a training for a longer period of time. And, uh, and like being, it was more about like moving up in the price bracket than as opposed to like the value of that training. Um, and I think that that needs to be communicated. However, let's say hypothetically, they said, okay, I'm, I'm down. I get, I see the value. And, uh, if I come in, I do my training and, uh, they said that they don't, they were less worried about training for a longer period of time than as long as they never felt like they were just, um, a cog in a machine. Basically how I interpret it was they want you to, uh, communicate with them regularly about their, their progress and uh, constantly be aware of like what else they have to work on, where they're at. And um, so that was, that was one thing. And the other, the well, other thing. Well, can, can you hold the second thought and let's, uh, yeah. let's address that. Um, okay. So uh, I think that's valid. Yeah, I, I me too. That, that's absolutely valid. Um, the one thing I want people to understand is like, it's in all of our best interests to be on the same team. This it, it can't be us versus them. Like we all win if we're all on the same team. So all of this stuff needs to be like, can we do it together? But at but within reality, right? Like that's all that's all I ask for as an owner. And and the thing here is like if I'm if I was a an owner and I started up a training program, and someone had to 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 like work that training program, someone has to be paid. Yeah, that's a big expense on the business. And so is the training. Now, the the problem is you don't become a good educator for the first five, six years, right? So you don't necessarily know what you're looking at for a very long time. That's not going to stop you from giving good information, right? So they're going to still be good, but they may not be at a level where they can they can look at you and go, this is where they're at. And this is where they need to go next. And this is where um, this is this is like their technique here. And this, and I know it's going to be polished out to this. Like they don't exactly know what they're looking at, right? Like I can tell you how good someone is literally by how they grip the hair. Right. And, and that, that took a lifetime. I mean, I've been training since I was 19, I'm 44, almost 45. Right. So that's a lifetime of, and not just small training, right? Like, I mean, I have uh, seven apprentices at my salon here, right? Like, 
it, it, I'm constantly training to that clip. And I, and to your point earlier, it needs to be trained on an individual basis. Like I have a rubric, I have like a system, but everything's individualized, but it's really hard to get there because you have to be a person that can look at people and go, this is where you are on the journey. And this is where I need to see you unlock with your own hairdressing before I can allow you to go on the floor. And it's that important for you that I'll, I'll be, I'll do what's in your best interest, which is holding you back for a couple months to let you develop. Because if okay. I put you on the floor, you might get hurt. Okay. So on that, that is another thing that comes up uh, that like other, other, you know, people in the industry, influencers and, uh, and some salon owners that I've talked to, I've seen, I've seen this idea of, uh, if someone has a strength in one area, allowing them to take clients while they're still training in other areas, how do you feel about that? Um, I see where, I see what we're talking about, but it's, but knowing what I know about this industry is it's not possible, right? Like, um, you're not just going to be so far and away good at one thing that you could actually take clients on just that one thing. Cause you never know what's going to come through the door and you never like, you might have an idea of what someone's hair is and then you shampoo them and you're like, it's a t- totally different texture. Right. Um, the thing here is you're not going to be good at one piece without being good at all of it. Right. Like that's just a, like hair, hair is just hair. Your skills are what makes you good. Right. So I don't, so I, I guess if you were um, like, if maybe you're not strong at cutting and you do cut, I don't do this. I'm a compartmentalized salon and always have been. Um, maybe, you know, maybe if you have, maybe a they were like cutting, clipper really good with the clippers, for example, they can only do like clipper cuts, but they can't do anything else. And then that had to be a conversation at the front desk with the customer booking the appointment and be like, well, how short is your hair? It's yeah, gotta well, be. I mean, you're putting a burden on the salon that like, they don't want, like no one can actually achieve. Right. So the most important cog, because we're all cogs in the machine, if you will. Um, even me, right. I can, I'm replaceable too. Um, the most important person in the entire salon is the receptionist. They're, they are by far the most important person in the salon because they need to be quality to make the business money. And so you can't make their life hell because you won't have good receptionists. Okay, so the more confusing you make it on them, the, the worse your business is going to be because you're not going to be able to keep people who are good people and who want to do that job. If like everybody's coming up and shouting at them, if every single person has a billion different ways to charge and they have to uh, memorize that, you're not going to keep good people long. Um, Okay. And then the other, the other point, the other thought is what if you, uh, what if it's just a, a known thing that, a lot of uh, rising stylists, I mean, now this could this could change and not actually play out, but by kind of the conversations that I'm having and what I'm seeing on, on social media and like what the conversations are being had is <clears throat> that you might be somewhere for training and maybe building, but that doesn't necessarily, you know, have to be the place that you stay. So then I hear like salon owners complaining, like I train these people, I get them on the floor or I train them and they don't want to, 
you know, they're not quite ready. So they go somewhere else and they get on the floor or they go onto the floor. They only stay for a little while and then they, then they leave me. And, uh, do you have any, uh, any thoughts on that? Dude, it sucks. So, um, just imagine you and that people are expensive, right? So no matter what, uh, each person is at least going to cost you 40 grand a year. Every single person in your business is going to cost you, whether you're getting paid that or not. You have, so if I have a tra- if I have a trainee, I have to tra- I have to pay them. Then I have to pay the person over top of them. The more people I have, the more management I need, right? The more people that are in the building, the more coffee they're drinking, the more snacks they're taking. When we when we order pizza, the more pizza they're eating, right? The more supplies they're using, right? The like it it, it it's more costly than you think to have a human being in your business, right? So think about it from an owner's perspective. You come and like. I can train you all day long. It's going to take you three years to develop after I, after I train you, right? Like you're going to be light years behind, like above everyone else, but it's still going to take you two or three years to develop into the hairdresser you're going to become, right? So imagine being an owner and everyone you're training is staying for the first two years of that and you never get the great hairdresser right? You're just building them and they're going all, all around your city becoming your competition. Right. So imagine that as an owner, right? Like think about how shitty that feels. And then, then understand why there's not a lot of training programs, right? Because what's the incentive for the, for the owner? Like everyone has to win in order for a deal to work. You can't, one side can't win the deal every single time and expect the deal to keep happening. Right. If the owner is the only person that wins and the hairdresser is not actually getting trained and you're just putting all these people on the floor through a a supposed training program. Right. And the owner is the only person winning. Eventually, there's a walkout. Right. Right. Because they all realize that they're losing the deal. So it's. It's a it's a very complicated scenario. Now, how do you fix that? That's not fixable. I don't believe it's fixable. So what someone wise once said to me is you do it for the people who stay, not for the people who leave. So in my opinion, you've got to do it because the alternative is, is, is utterly foolish. Well, the, 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 what I surmise from all these conversations is it makes basically that the cost of business is just going up. I mean, that's at the end of the day, you can adjust, to to the realities of the new generation but that reality comes down to more money more money more well, training you know, more theoretically the price should adjust too but the uh, the problem is our industry is controlled by ego uh, maniacs so you have like a bunch of people in businesses who want to tell you what the prices should be or they want to tell you what the cap on your prices should be right and and honestly you should let supply demand sort that out because then you would go a longer way to staying in 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 level with like inflation right and then that would theoretically uh keep up with your your price increases so well uh, i guess um you know the person that is uh most impacted it seems by by all these changes and expectations and uh you know the bar being kind of raised on on like you know communication uh what 
um, structure of the community of the education and uh, more handholding, more time spent uh, mentoring and like working with them, which I don't think is a tall ass, but you know, that plus all of these uh, other realities of people, you know, like the, the trend in general with Gen Z is that they say, which is probably true in order to get a raise, not necessarily in salons, but in order to get a raise, you work somewhere for two to three years, and then you move to another company. And that's how you get a better raise than staying within yeah, your company. I would, so I would agree with that for most, for most professions, our profession, you like the salon isn't in control of your money. You are right. So, to be honest with you, the best, most um, efficient way for you to make a lot of money is to stay in one location. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It, yeah. But that environment has to be what you wanted it. What this is why I'm saying you should go out and research and and go walk in every salon you can because you need to pick the salon based on the environment you want to stay at. And then it's kind of up to you to learn how to get along with people. Right. I could walk into any environment. I don't care what it is. I'll get along with everybody. Um, you know, and, and like your hairdresser, you don't need to talk to anybody. I could sit in my chair with a book and never, I mean, or wh whatever electronic device you guys use these days. But, <laughs> but I remember in my um, younger career, I worked in salons where I just didn't get along with the people, um, you know, and like, but I loved the salon. Um, so I would just read a book in my chair. I never left my chair. I never walked into the back room. If you're getting into like arguments and fights, it's on you. It's your fault. It, it's not on the business. Like I'll, every time someone comes into a um, an interview with me and they say something like, oh, my last salon got toxic. I immediately it's a it's a hard pass right then and there. The second you say that it's a hard pass because the building cannot get toxic. <laughs> it can't. The business itself cannot get toxic. The only people only people can get toxic. And you're a part of that or you're not a part of that. It's that simple. Do you have many uh, rising stylists come in and say, I I have, I went to this one salon and they said they trained me and I was there for three months and they didn't give me any classes, any training and said that <laughs> I still got another six months to go, but they told me I'd be done in six months and I've already been here three or four months. Do you get many of those people coming in? Yeah, that's a problem. Um Bro, that's a huge problem. Like that's a huge so, problem. And and this is this is where they're right, right? It's like so many salons tell you they have training programs and you go in and there's no training. Um, or there's training, but it's so sporadic, right? Like at my salon, we train, we train in in class every single once a week, every single week. Um, and then their job is to then work on mannequins. Now, here's how crazy this is. So the ones who do really well will work on the mannequins during the week as much as they possibly can. There's no downtime. There's no sitting in the back, right? The ones who won't make it at my salons are the ones who will just sit in the back. And they know this because I will tell them and they'll still do it, <laughs> right? So a little bit of it is on them. A lot of this is on salons. You're, you're saying you have training programs or you're willing to take on apprentice. No one's in charge of it. You're trying to do it as a group. That doesn't work. You have to like put a single stylist. And a lot of times it's your youngest, most ambitious stylist you should be putting into into that role. Um, and then, and then grooming both of them, you know, like trying to build out both of them at the same time. So you need to be trying to get them skilled up uh, with their training as much as the person who they're actually training. And then you need to be able to learn how to manage that. Or 
as a salon owner, um, you know, maybe you have the skills you need to be able to, I can't color. So I always have to have a color. I can color. I'm not good at it. Um, (laughs) I haven't done it in 25 years. Um, (laughs) but, uh, I know enough to know what I'm looking at, but like, basically I have to have someone training the color at all times. And it's a little different. Color is a different game, right? Color is so much experience as opposed to training. You have to see color and see a lot of shapes and, and stuff colored. And um, and you can't make up for experience. Whereas cutting, I can I can skip experience with good edu- with good material. Um so it and then understanding that. So in my salons, we have a cutting director and then we have a color director. And then basically people help out with that. Um, but those two people are in charge because you need to have you need to have one one place where the buck stops, you know, and, and they're responsible for for the kids and they got to want to do it. And it can't be money based because the second you pay somebody for it, it's over. It's over. Like anytime you monetize your your hobby, it's no longer a hobby, and you don't enjoy doing it. As simple as that. Um, uh, so, what are you saying though? You can't pay who the, ed- the? I don't think you can pay education. I think education has to be its own reward. If you want to be a top flight hairstylist in this industry, you have to teach. That's the only way for you to learn. And the money that comes from that is incredible. It's a windfall, but it can't come from the salon because the second you get paid for it, you'll turn it into a job, and you won't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I Every can... time I've ever paid somebody for it, they're done within a month or two. Um, right. I, I mean, I'm a person who works every day except for Sunday and always have and always will. Um, and and you have to understand what you're trying to get out of it and like where you want to go and reverse be able to reverse engineer your career because it's so important. If you want to be mid-level, <clears throat> think about the money now. If you want to be high end, you got to think about the money later. <clears throat> yeah. And and to be honest. It isn't hard to either stay with your parents, couch surf for a year, like whatever you got to do. All these guys talk about how much how how much money they need to survive. They're all ordering in every single day for lunch, paying like I mean, literally, you see like the delivery start here is insane, right? Yeah. No one's making their own lunch. No one's like no one's stopping themselves from going out drinking every night, right? Like right. <laughs> it, it, it's only one year of your life. Right. In order to like crush for the rest of it, you could just you could just work your tail off that year and not do anything else. But that's a really hard ask to ask out of someone that's 19 or 20. Yeah, I think I think the uh, at that at the age, um, if you haven't been groomed to expect to apprentice under somebody and you're experiencing the industry through your screen because you haven't really even stepped foot in a salon other than the one you've gotten your hair at you're going to assume that you know there's the only barrier into entry which it is the only barrier to entry is the license and uh, however there's like the the it's conversation it's pretty, it's pretty easy to work without a license in this industry yeah yeah <laughs> i mean i don't know if that's really an actual barrier as opposed to like a mental barrier yeah i think i think um i don't know just like just to say that, just assume that people are going to not want to operate without a license. Like that would be the, if that's the case, that's the only thing standing in their way. And I think that that's what, I think that's what the the thought process is in the head is all I got to do is get my license. And I, you know, I talk to the teachers at these schools and they tell me that they tell their kids all the time that uh, they're going to need to train. And, but I say, then why don't they, why do you think they don't listen? And they say, 
because they don't they don't want to hear it but they'll listen to somebody who comes in as a guest speaker more like more than they're going to listen to their teacher which i can totally understand that as well so i don't know um you know, yeah, this I, whole- stopped do- I mean, this is the reason I stopped going into schools is because I got so frustrated with I would walk into schools and and everybody was listening. Everybody was hanging on to every word. And then all of a sudden there was this shift and I would go in and people would be sleeping and and like they weren't listening anymore. And it's like, dude, it's a lot to be able to go in and, and tell somebody the honest truth. Right. Like it's not easy for me to to get on here and talk honestly, because the problem in our industry is if if you're not a constant p positive mental attitude people just assume you're not a nice person or you're or you're not worth listening to and it's like no having these hard discussions is the most important because then we as a industry can can move on and get better right like right. you can't just go oh it's all the students it's not all the students oh it's all the it's all the salon owners it's not all the salon owners it's a combination we're all in this place that's like in order to do what's best for people, we all have to lose a little bit and we all have to win a little bit. And, and that's, and it's a tricky, it's a tricky spot situation to be in for all of us. Um, I think students have, a, you know, this is the problem of youth. This isn't para school, right? right? It's like yeah. you, you, you start to go, well, all my friends are doing this thing and I have FOMO and like, I want to do it. Right. And it's like, no, all you have to do is just wait one year. If I came to you and I said, go get the best training program possible, and they're going to pay, right? You're going to make money. You're not going to make a lot of money. You're going to get paid. And you're going to get paid. And there's this imaginary wealth coming to you, right? Like that you're not giving enough weight to because they're going to make you money that you can't believe. And they're going to like good training programs and good hairdressers are going to remove the bar for you to how much you can make money. Cause they're going to teach you everything, how to run a chair, how to like act in the salon, what professionalism is like how to actually do hair. That's that's geared towards the client and not towards hair school. Right. It's very different hair. It's very like I trained for Graham Webb, Tony and guy, Russ, uh, Bumble and Bumble. The hair I do has nothing to do with any of that. It's a combination of all of it. Right. Like, um, and it's mostly based on my own eye and, and it's not a brand. Hairdressing is not a brand. And people really struggle with that in hair school because you feel like you're paying to become a brand. And, and like, I'm paying to become a, an evasive stylist or I'm a paying to become one of these stylists. And that's just not true. You're, you're, you're paying to like get your foot going in the industry and, and get in. I, I, I'm with them. I think school is kind of a waste of money. I don't mean to be rude when I say that. I feel like if we could skip schools, this would solve a big, big problem in our industry because you'd put the power back into the salon's hands and they would be forced to do better programs because they would need to train people to get them on the floor. And they'd have to compete. This is really becoming apparent. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, the competition would go up so much. I mean, tremendously, like in yeah. it, it right now, there's no competition. I can have seven and I just hire people. If you come in and I think you're amazing, I hire you. I don't care if I need you because I may not get, I may not get that opportunity six months from now when the busy season hits. And I'm, and I'm like, I was geared up for war, but I dropped three people on the floor in October. You know what I mean? Like, right. 
then I might be like struggling in the busiest time of year to try to find somebody to replace. And then I'll hire anybody, which is never a position I want to be in as a salon owner. Um, So I think a big part of this is kind of on everyone, but uh, mostly it's on the people who are coming out because what you seek out is what the industry will adapt to. Right. Totally. Making stuff up about what you want and you don't really have any experience in what the ask is, right? Because this is the trouble. It's like, if you just ask for a bunch of like pot at the end of the rainbow stuff, you're never going to get that. But if you ask for the next step in your journey, right? Like then it will happen because you can't, you can't skip that. Well, like the easiest way to become great at anything is just take the very smallest, simplest step next. Well, uh, I mean, I think this is uh, was a great conversation. It ran way longer than I thought it would, but um, it ran exactly how long I thought it would. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> uh, well, um, I mean, I think this is great. I look forward to uh, you know continuing this conversation, maybe coming up with other um, other kind of solutions uh, or entertaining uh, kind of talking about other people's ideas for solutions in the future uh, and then kind of breaking those down and dissecting them. But uh, do you have any like last uh, words before we sign off? No, I think that, I think that was important. And, um, and really looking at these, cause it's really easy for, for you to bring someone like me on and, and I'll spurt exactly what I'm doing. But what you have to understand is like that can't apply to every level. Right. And it it can't be the same for every level. And then it can't be the same for every human. So there there's general things I do, but everything can can pivot if necessary. And and that becomes somewhat of a big ask for most salon owners. Um, But you have to we have to be able as an industry to break these things down into three levels and then talk about them differently for each level. Because if I was a student coming into the bottom level, shit, man, I don't want it. I don't want to do anything. I could probably almost step into it right away and and be decent, right? Like um, without any school, um, not decent, but like I would figure it out in a couple of weeks with the amount of information online. Um, and there's nothing that's more um, there's nothing more that to push you than to do a bad haircut or two. <laughs> like that right, makes you yeah. then wake up and go, "What education do I need?" And then if you're attacking that middle, you need to understand that it's a little education, but not a lot. And then like, let's get you on the floor pretty fast. Um, but at the top level, the ask can't be to go on the floor. It's got to be you got to train. And it, and honestly, it's in your your best interest. And that and that needs to be something that people understand is no one's trying to hurt you. They're trying to help you. And like, you have to let them help you. A big part of success is getting out of your own way that I, I, I'm a firm believer that that's the last step to success is you have to get out of your own way because your ego will do things to you that um, will cost you millions. Like I'm not like no joke, millions. The difference between getting trained up by somebody who then who teaches you all the technique to be good for the life of your career, but also teaches you finances at the beginning and get you to understand the S&P 500 and other things. That's stuff, that's stuff that is, is absolutely invaluable because if, if I get you to invest in your 20s, you're talking about millions on retirement just from your 20s, right? right? So if I can get you on that path quicker, understand that it's for your best interest and that like you're going to make a happier um, employee in the business because you're going to be a good part of the machine, not one that's draining the resources of the, of the village. Right. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, uh, this is good, man. I look forward to talking more. And uh, thank you so much for coming on coming on the show and uh, talking about this. I feel like this is one of the biggest topics of our of our industry right now of our time. Yeah, man, I appreciate it. This is a hard conversation to have. I'm glad that you were willing to do it. Um, and and we can do it in a way that like you know we're just being honest and and sharing information and um, and hopefully it's helpful. I, I mean, I think if I was a young stylist, I would want to hear this instead of like the opposite, which is what I heard, which was, oh, you're going to be able to be a badass hairdresser day one out of hair school, which was categorically false. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honesty I hope so too. Honesty is the best customer service. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so too. I I hope that uh, you know all you any rising stylists out there listening to this. We'd love to hear from you. Leave a comment below. Um, let us know your thoughts. Uh, you know, maybe even let's get one of you on the show and let's have this conversation. You know, maybe we could even do like a a round table kind of talk about it as well. So um, until then, I have a good day and uh, thanks for coming on the show again. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, man. Take care.